You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, you are listening to the October 1st, 2017 edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. And uh, again, we thank you for being with us today. Uh, I want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We hope that you uh, will go to the website and uh, click subscribe. And by doing so, uh, enter in your email address and you'll receive all of the uh, articles and uh, links to the podcast as they become available in your inbox. And the best part about it is that it's absolutely free. You can also catch the Bellator Christie podcast on several apps, including uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, um, iTunes, as well as Google Play. So uh, you can take uh, the Bellator Christie podcast with you on the go. Uh, we have a, a very a packed show today. Uh, we are going to talk about um, a problem I, I see emerging in New Testament scholarship among even conservatives. Now I, I agree that we need to take the truth where it goes, but I don't I don't agree with the conclusions that uh, some New Testament scholars, even within the uh, the conservative community, or or so called conservative community, are are uh, accepting. So we're going to talk about that, especially as it pertains to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to listen to a clip that's going to to uh, better explain this. And so we'll do that uh, as the show progresses. So that's going to be the main topic today. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL, what's going on, the the big uh, controversy in the NFL, taking a knee. We're going to try to present a balanced approach to this, as well as uh, also uh, providing information on uh, a a controversial document that was signed by many uh, conservative Christians called the Nashville Statement. We're going to look at that, see what's in the statement, and um, go from there. You know, see, see what the statement's all about, see what the controversy's about, and so we'll talk about that on today's podcast as well. Well, we thank you for being with us today. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, and let me just go ahead and say, before we take our first commercial break, there will be a week, most likely in October, where we won't have a podcast. We want to thank, first and foremost, 
uh, going back looking at September. We have had some wonderful guests on the podcast. I want to thank everyone who's been part of the journey this past month. It's been a very busy month uh, with uh, several several wonderful individuals joining us on the podcast. Uh, so we want to thank everyone who is with us September in September. October, we're going to slow things down quite a bit because October is going to be a very busy month. Uh, we I'll be speaking at a revival uh, coming up October 8th uh, at 7 p.m. at St. Paul United Methodist Church in uh, Hamptonville, North Carolina. We have a revival on uh, going coming up this week. Uh, in fact, we had our homecoming today, uh, Sunday, and then we... Um, and then we're going to have a revival Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at the church over at Huntsville. If you're in the area, we do encourage you to come join us. Dr. Rick Page of Deep Creek Baptist Church, he's going to be there Monday night. Uh, Tim Tucker of Mountain View Baptist Church is going to be there Tuesday. And uh, and uh, Pastor Christopher Burcham of Union Hill Baptist in Clemens, North Carolina, he'll be with us Wednesday night, uh, he and his wife. So we look forward to having them with us as well. Uh, but... Uh, Two revivals coming up. Homecoming, of course, happened today. I also have my um, PhD intensive coming up uh, this this month as well. Uh, I also want to remind you about uh, the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, which will be coming up the 13th and 14th. We'll have uh, some more information about that in uh, in the show as it uh, as we progress today. Uh, and so, anyhow, we have a lot of stuff coming up. October is going to be a busy month. And because of that, there may be one or two weeks in October that we don't have a podcast. Just, just want to warn you about that. Let you know that it's forthcoming. Um, so if if you do catch a week or two that the podcast hasn't been broadcast, no, the podcast is continuing. Uh, we just we just had to uh, I just had to take a break uh, a week or so. So anyhow, uh, that's what's coming up on the Bellator Christie podcast today. Again, as we mentioned, we have a wonderful podcast. A lot of controversial topics we'll be discussing today. So uh, we're going to take our first commercial break, and we'll start all first with the controversy about uh, the sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel. Are they authentic? Do they belong to the historical Jesus, or? Are they just simply a theo- theologizing? Uh, I don't know if I said that, or <laughs> I don't know if I said that right, or if that's even a word, or is it just simply a reflection of the theology of John? Let me say that that might be a better way of putting that. But that'll be our first topic, and then we'll talk about uh, coming up the NFL Nashville statement. A lot more coming up here on this edition and of the Bellator Christie podcast. We'll catch you back right after this brief commercial break. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. 
We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there, to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. Welcome back to the Bellator Christie Podcast. A little Stevie Ray Vaughan there for you. Couldn't stand the weather. Name of that song. Uh, we're uh, going to first take a look today on this power-packed episode of the Bellator Christie Podcast uh, of, of some comments that were recently made by uh, Craig Evans in a debate with uh, Bart Ehrman. And uh, this, this is something that we seem to continually see in uh, the, the New Testament scholarly community, as even among uh, even some more evangelical voices. And uh, s- some have uh, even said that uh, it may be time that we have a reformation in New Testament scholarship. And I think that uh, after hearing these words, that maybe we do... Um, let me first of all, and let me just say from the outset, this is a video shared on Lydia McGrew's website called at lydiaswebpage.blogspot.com in an article dated September 28, 2017, this past Thursday. The article's title is, Jesus Never Said the I Am Statements. And she writes in the following following video, New Testament scholar Craig Evans, who is, I, I think, a lot of Craig Evans. Let me just say that from the outset. Uh, he ha- actually agrees with Bart Ehrman that Jesus met, never made the I am statements recorded in John's gospel. Anyone who thinks this literary device stuff is no big deal, she goes to say, needs to realize that if one goes where Evans is going, that no longer passes the laugh test. Um, Evans gives no argument. He makes a bizarre analogy between John's gospel and the personification of Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. But, of course, he isn't a mither, so Jesus did exist and did say things, right, she says. So that's obviously a really poor analogy, and it's not clearly clear precisely what Evans thinks it does for his argument. Uh, using the term, quote-unquote, genre, genre, uh, doesn't help since obviously John is not writing an allegorical personification of a characteristic like wisdom. This is a lazy use of the t- concept of quote-unquote genre. 
He then explicitly states that uh, these were, he is confessions of the Johannine community rather than statements made by Jesus. Well, I, um, well, she goes on to say Evans has to admit the awkwardness of all the historical facts confirmed in John, exclamation point, but apparently doesn't let this stop him from having an agreement fest with skeptical scholar Ehrman who goes for the jugular, unsurprisingly, that Jesus never made the I am statements. So here is a brief, here is a brief um, video, about four minutes maybe, that has this uh, discussion, this dialogue between uh, Craig Evans and uh, Bart Ehrman. So let's see if we can bring this up. Uh, having a little technical difficulties. Bear with us here just a few moments. Uh, let's see if we can bring this video up right now. The world, um, um, etc. These I am sayings. And, and uh, at one point, of course, he says, uh, uh, the Father and I are one. So my question to you is, do you think the historical Jesus really said these things? I think most of these things were not uttered as we find them by the historical Jesus. I think most of these things were not uttered as we find them by the historical Jesus. So that I, was repeated. I, I suspect we don't have too much difference on John. Um, my view is the Gospel of John is a horse of another color altogether. It's a different genre. Uh, John is often compared to the wisdom literature. It's like wisdom is personified. Chokmah, Lady Wisdom, or in Greek, Sophia. She wanders the streets. She calls out to people. She does things. Well, nobody would read that and think, oh, I, did you see wisdom going down the street the other day? Nobody would think that as a literal person. What is mysterious to me about John is that once you say that and say, okay, Perhaps we should interpret the I am statements as he is confessions, he is the light of the world, he is the way, truth, and the life, he is the bread of life, a confession of the Johannine community uh, that likely generated that version of the gospel. About the time you think John is a gigantic parable, and then along comes a scholar who says, you know, it's, it's loaded with historical details also. And so that's what makes John so tricky. Uh, there is a Society of Biblical Literature uh, section devoted to John and the historical Jesus, chaired by a scholar named Paul Anderson. So that's probably more answer than you want, but I, I don't disagree with you too much on that point. No. I think John is studded with historical details. Yeah. Maybe you called them nuggets. That's not a bad way of describing John. But I think the synoptics are more than just some nuggets. Uh, and it, but uh, okay, so let me just add to pursue okay. it then. I mean, John. I think both of us are agreeing that John is not historically accurate. It, it, it's theologically been probably the most important of the Gospels, I would say, historically, and and people relish the, the theological. But but in terms of its historical accuracy, it's it, if you were there, you would not have heard Jesus say these things. Probably, it's a later theological. No, reflection. not in so many words. Yeah. Not like that. No, okay. I don't think so. So if if we toss John out, what? Well, about... we're not tossing John out, but. <laughs> and by the way, you, I, Bart, I object to like saying it's not historically accurate. Well, if something that isn't isn't exactly historical, 
How is it not historically accurate? It'd be like saying, you mean the parable? The parable was a fiction that Jesus told? It's not an actual event? You mean it's not historically accurate? Right. Well, we would have to argue what John was intending to produce, whether he was That's intending. exactly what the question and, and is. And we, no, yeah. we have no access to his intentions. And that's what we well, actually that, do. And that's true for anything from exactly. antiquity, I suppose. Okay, so well, that's okay. why we do exegesis. All right, so um, if if we agree that John is not historically accurate, which one of the Gospels is? Yeah. All right. No, you you have said that Jesus didn't say. Okay, you you are not going to use John as a blueprint for writing the life, the historical life of Jesus, because you think it's Fair metaphorical. Enough. So but to sum up, it is now widely agreed among New Testament scholars. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> all right, so, so first of all, th there's a lot of stuff, and we could spend all podcasts on this. And in fact, let me just give this disclaimer. This issue ha has really lit a fire under me. And maybe something that I this is this is an issue that is probably that well not probably definitely deserves a lot more attention than what I can give on this little segment of this podcast. In fact, uh, I may be writing a series of articles, and I don't know may even take this into my doctoral work looking at um, issues uh, in some of my studies about this because I, I think that that this is a very important issue and. Um, let, but let me, let me just confront one thing that was said. They said, we don't know the intention of John. Actually, we do. Am I saying that I know but more than these guys, these scholars? Absolutely not. But I'm just saying, from the words of the Gospel of John itself, John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25, he says that this gospel says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Okay. Well, let, let me actually, first of all, before I read that part, let me, <coughs> excuse me, read chapter 20. This is after the, the Jesus appears to Thomas. And he says, uh, Jesus says, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John goes on to say that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, now, John has just discussed how Jesus literally appeared before the disciples and literally said some of the things that he did. Okay, and he says these things are recorded so that you would believe. Now, if John is not recording historical truth, if he is not accurately, and I'm not saying that he's recording every word for word precisely, uh, because I, I would have to agree that they record the voice of Jesus. I mean, they didn't have tape recorders, so if they get one little word wrong, you know, that's no big deal. But, but the thing is, is that the Holy Spirit, I believe, preserved the words of Jesus in these Gospels so that what they're recording is, in fact, the words of Jesus. It's the voice of Jesus. It's the, it's the authentic teachings of Jesus, if you want to say it that way. But he goes on to say in verse 24, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Okay? Um, 
this is talking about the author of the gospel, or at least an amanuensis who wrote the words for for the, for the disciple, uh, for the author. We know that his testimony is true, and there are also many other things Jesus did, which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Okay, so we know the intention of John. The intention of the author was to preserve the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus did. Did he theologize the teachings of, um, and ministry of Jesus? Well, of course. We see that in, in the um, prologue to the gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That, that's a theological truth that John understood through the teachings of Jesus, by the ministry of Jesus, by the things that he himself had seen. He was an eyewitness. Okay, and even if this was preserved by the Johannian community, I don't see anywhere, I don't see, I just don't get it. Maybe I'm just not savvy enough to see this, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I've studied John quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't see how this is talking about a community. This is talking about the life of Jesus. This is talking about the life of Jesus. This is talking about, and, and yes, they record... Um, what is it, seven I am statements? There are seven signs. There are seven uh, teachings of Jesus, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. The number seven holds great prominence in the Gospel of John, which shows the Jewish nature of the book. Okay, The thing about John's Gospel is that it is thoroughly Jewish. Okay, uh, because, because the fact you see in, in John's Gospel... Um, you see in John's Gospel uh, the the comparisons of light and dark, uh, which is something that is found in the Qumran community of the Essenes, uh, you know, and, and with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of the writings there they had the the, the sons of light versus the sons of darkness. Now I'm not saying that uh, I'm not saying that uh, in any way that 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 Christianity was copying. Uh, the Essene community, or all of all of the Christians were, or that Jesus was an Essene. But I do think, as as Dr. Amy Downey said on our podcast previously, that there is some reason to believe. There are some reasons to believe that John the Baptist and maybe John the Apostle were Essenes. I mean, the thing about it is, is that that when you hear somebody's message, especially over the course of three and a half years, different people are going to remember different messages in different ways. Okay. Um, that is to say that some people, certain messages are going to resonate with some people more so than they do others. I mean, for people who've hear, heard, heard me preach several times, I mean, for some people it may be a statement that I give that uh, about somebody that, that sticks with them. I, I give one message going over the fundamentals of the Christian faith where I give a story of me on a lawnmower. That message has been known as the lawnmower story uh, because, because of the lawnmower story that's associated with it. Uh, you know, There are different messages that I've brought that have resonated with others in, in different ways. Okay, so just because there are some differences between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels being Matthew, Mark, and Luke doesn't mean that John doesn't record the authentic words of Jesus. And in fact, when we also see the fact that the synoptic gospels record the Galilean ministry, whereas John records the Judean ministry, uh, then we see that, that Jesus is speaking to different individuals in different places. 
the Judean community, the Essenes were there were more Essenes in that area as they were around the Qumran area. They were in around the Jerusalem area. Uh, he may have been reaching out to the people in the Essene community. Thereby, he would use these symbols of light and dark. He would use, um, and he would be even more bold perhaps in his proclamations, giving the "I am" statements, the "ego me" statements uh, that he gives. I, I really, I, th- I think that. Um, and there are many more reasons why we could believe that um, that the words of Jesus are authentic in John's gospel. I mean, there are parallels, in fact, between John's between the teachings of Jesus and John's gospel and uh, in um, in the other gospels. Um, you know, for instance, Jesus says in John seven thirty three. Uh, I am only with you for a short time, then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you cannot find me. For where I am, you cannot come. This is also recorded in similar fashion, or something a parallel to it is uh, given in, um, let's look down here real quickly, um, in James 1, 1, uh, 1 Peter, or this, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one, um, Okay, well, it mainly has John Johannine parallels there. Where am I looking here? Verse 23. Uh, There's the teaching of, uh, oh yeah, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Talking about the controversy he had with the Sabbath uh, day. That's Parallels are found there in Luke uh, 13.10, Luke 2.22. Let's see here. Uh, my teaching is not mine. That's okay. That's that's. Uh, see, what where's another one here? Six seventy one. Uh, did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He's saying this is to uh, Judas Iscariot. The parallels there found in uh, Matthew four one and ten. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, yeah. Here's a good example. Jesus gives a very controversial statement. Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will not have life in yourselves. Uh, of course, he's talking about uh, taking, you know, obviously the communion, the, the spiritual association with Jesus. This is There's a parallel found there in uh, Mark 2, 2.10. Also, um, Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. Luke 22, 15 through 20. Um, Matthew 16, verse 21. Um, I mean, the list could go on and on, really. The list could go on and on with parallels that we see here. In verse 46, not anyone, not every, uh, not that every, anyone who has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Uh, 646. There's a parallel there in Luke 10, 22. So, I mean, this could go on and on. Uh, John is thoroughly Jewish. There are connections between John, his gospel, and the, and, uh, and the teachings of Jesus found in John's gospel, and, and, uh, and some of the illustrations given in the Qumran community. Uh, and, and there are a lot more things that we could discuss on this issue. Here's the main problem. And let me just end this segment with this. Here is the main problem that I see. There is no difference in making that claim that Evans does. Now, I have the greatest admiration for Craig Evans, and I'm not, you know, and I didn't hear all of the, I didn't hear all of the, um, all of the debate. 
So he may have corrected this later on. I, that was just a short four-minute segment. Okay, let's be fair. But from what little we heard, it seems to be that Evans is saying that uh, we can't trust the, the, the teachings associated with Jesus to be authentic to the historical Jesus. Now, my question is this. How is that any different than the liberal Jesus Seminar? That's exactly what the Jesus Seminar did in the late 90s. Marcus Borg, John Dominic Croson, and many others. And let, let, let's be honest. Bart Ehrman, I think, won that exchange. Because he asks a reasonable question. If, if we can't accept what John is saying in the teachings of Jesus, why don't we just throw it out as unhistorical? And then Evans, of course, comes back to say, well, that's not to say that there aren't historical truths found in John's gospel. But if you're throwing out the teachings of Jesus, that's a very reasonable question to be asked, as Barton Ehrman does. I honestly think Ehrman won that exchange. And I think it shows the weakness of this degree of skepticism that we have allowed in New Testament scholarship. Now, obviously, there are many New Testament scholars that don't hold that, that would not accept that as being true. And I, I think that, um, in all honesty, as John Jonathan McClatchy uh, said in a public forum on Facebook, that the field of New Testament studies needs to be reformed. And, and I think he's right. Uh, we, we've given too much away. And, and in trying to be fair, I think we have, in many ways thrown out the baby with the bathwater. And folks, I want to tell you what, in all honesty, in trying to be fair in our discussions, well, and I'm all for being fair, don't, don't get me wrong, um, but in trying to find a middle ground, sometimes we give away too much. And I think it is erroneous, highly erroneous, for us to throw out the teachings of Jesus and John's gospel. Some people would ask, well, wait a minute, we see a lot of the similar teachings in, in the letters of John. Granted, absolutely. But if, if John is preserving the actual teachings of Jesus, then he is going to provide that as the backdrop of his, of his other messages. And in fact, I mean, for instance, I, I, know one, I, know one, I heard a story one time of a guy in seminary who whenever he preached, he had uh, one of his fingers bent when, as he was preaching. He had, you know, the rest of his hand was outstretched, but he had one of his fingers bent. And people uh, asked why he did this, and he, you know, he was basically, uh, he had uh, been influenced by one of his professors at, at, at seminary. And they went and met this professor and noted that uh, he had, uh, the pref professor had previously uh, had an accident uh, with a saw and cut off one of his fingers and so he, he had a missing finger and so this student was copying the the professor by bending the one finger uh, and, and he wasn't making fun of the professor but he was just uh, borrowing the teaching style of the professor when we have people who have influenced us greatly we borrow their material it becomes part of our teaching ministry and quite honestly, I think that's what we find in the letters of John. I don't think he made up these stories. I don't think he made up these teachings. I think he is accurately sharing the teachings of Jesus that were given in the Judean area. And um, I think Jesus was speaking to a different group of people. He was trying to reach a different community. And that is the reason why we see some differences in the teachings 
in Jesus' ministry found in John's gospel in the Judean area as compared to the teachings of Jesus in the Galilean ministry uh, in the Galilean region uh, as uh, preserved for us in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll have a a couple of uh, lesser involved topics as we uh, get ready to as we move on through the podcast uh, these next two sections won't be nearly as long uh, it won't take near as much time for us to handle you're listening to the bellator christie podcast we'll be back in just a moment this is jay warner wallace i hope you'll join me at this year's national apologetics conference offered by southern evangelical seminary on october 13th and 14th in the city of charlotte north carolina I'll be accompanied by a number of great speakers who will help you develop a faith that thinks. That's really, in fact, the entire title of this year's conference, Pursuing a Faith That Thinks. And I also have been interested in this for a number of years. I call this developing a forensic faith. And this is important for us if we're going to equip our youngsters, our young Christians in the faith, to be able to defend what they believe and survive in a growingly hostile culture. So please join me on October 13th and 14th as we pursue a faith that thinks. All right, we're back on the Bellator Christie podcast. And um, like I said, uh, I want to take a few moments just to talk about a couple other issues going on in the world today. Uh, in a uh, brief time we have left together today. Uh, so first and foremost, I want to give a uh, response to uh, or just a little comment on what's going on in the NFL. And, um, you know, I think it's important for us to look at both sides of an issue before we make a decision on something. And, um, you know, obviously the NFL is... <laughs> It's it's facing a lot of trouble uh, right now. In fact, there are a lot of uh, players who have decided to take a knee during the national anthem. This all started back, I think it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, by former San Francisco 49er quarterback uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, who decided to take a knee in response to the um, police brutality that had occurred against uh, some minorities or uh, not just some minorities, against against minorities. That was the reason for him taking a knee during the national anthem. And so um, some others had begun to do the same. It really started off with just him. Some others have begun to do the same. Uh, last week, uh, President Trump had uh, issued some very unsavory comments, using some language he probably should not have used, uh, to to talk about the the individuals in the NFL who had taken a knee, saying basically that they should have been fired uh, on the spot for doing so. Well, obviously this didn't leave a, a good taste in the mouth of many, and so the national throughout the National Football League you had many individuals who took a knee during who knelt during the national anthem. Some were even doing stretches, from what a good friend of mine was telling me. Uh, and uh, and some teams choosing not to even be involved with this decided to, to stay in the locker room uh, so as to not even deal with this issue just to try to show unity as a team. Uh, so obviously there are many people who were very upset at the NFL 
and many people who have even really boycotted the NFL. There are there are some uh, businesses that have decided not to air NFL games because of this. Uh, some restaurants, even there are some um, a lot of people I have I have spoken with whom I've spoken online, who uh, on social media, diehard football fans even, who said that they will watch college football, but they will not watch the NFL until this is corrected. Now, let me just say, I understand the reasoning behind the protests that that's, that's taking place. I understand that. I understand the message that's trying to be conveyed. But I think that there is a proper way and an improper way to do things. And I think that uh, by sh- taking a knee during the National Anthem, uh, that's probably a bad way to, to bring forth this protest. And the reason being, now some people will say, in, contra- you know, in contrast, they'll say, well, you have to do something extreme to get people to pay attention. I understand that. I get that. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do this, to, to a right way and wrong way. Um, when you take a knee, well, well, let me just first of all say symbols are a very powerful thing. People associate symbols with deeper truths. Okay, the cross for the Christian isn't just a T; it represents the sacrifice of Christ. It represents God's love to us, the substitutionary death of Christ for our sins on the cross. So the cross isn't just a piece of two pieces of wood, one vertical, uh, a longer piece vertical, a uh, shorter piece horizontal, placed upon the same figure. It represents a deeper, deeper truth. Okay, in the same way, the, the flag and the national anthem, they don't only represent a flag. They don't only represent uh, a song. They, in fact, represent a nation. They embody the 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 sacrifice that were made by many troops, by many soldiers who gave their lives uh, to allow us and afford us the freedoms that we possess. There are many veterans I know whom are very, who are very upset over this and, and have said that, uh, that they, they will not be watching, they will not be tuning in because in many cases... It was that flag that kept them alive. The hope of the freedoms that were found in the nation for which that flag represented. So I think that, and especially, especially coming from individuals who have, who this comes across very bad. Uh, this comes across badly, especially from athletes who are making millions of dollars and have never served in the armed forces. Now, I've never served in the armed forces, but I've had a lot of family members who have. I know the sacrifice that's made by serving in the armed forces, and I have the greatest respect for our our troops, our men and women in uniform. Uh, So I think there's a right way and a wrong way. Now, I will have to say... Uh, I really didn't watch the game last night. Uh, I did did watch just out of curiosity what happened. Uh, Of course, my team is the Green Bay Packers NFL. I watched maybe just a small bit of it, not much at all yesterday, even though it was the classic rivalry between the Bears and the Packers. But, uh, you know, just the NFL itself has left a bad taste in my mouth as well, so that's why I'm kind of refraining. Uh, taking a, I'm just taking a sabbatical from NFL for a little while uh, until things, you know, till things calm down. But anyhow, uh, long story short, uh, I was impressed by the Bears and by the Packers. 
They all stood together in unison. Aaron Rodgers said that he wanted this act to be not as a protest, but simply as an act showing love and unity. That's what we as a nation should be about, and that's what we should strive to have, love and unity. So kudos to Aaron Rodgers. Kudos to the Packers. Kudos to the fans who locked arms at Lambeau Stadium in Green Bay you know, last night and, um, and were able to, to come together to show love and unity. It wasn't a protest. It was coming together to show love and unity, and that's what it should be about. All right, we have just a few minutes later, a few moment, a few minutes left on the podcast today. I want to talk about one additional thing before we close out uh, for this week. I want to talk about a uh, very controversial um, document that has been written. Well, it really shouldn't be that controversial, but it seems like everything's everything becomes controversial anymore. Um, but it's it's a document called the Nashville Statement, and this is getting a lot of news across the nation. Uh, in fact, the mayor of Nashville uh, denounced this document. But um, but this is just a theological document. It, it's it's put out by the um, let's see here. It is the the Center for Biblical the Center, let's see, wait a minute, Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I think that's right. The Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Okay, and so um, this has this document has many, many people who've signed it, many high prominent individuals from uh, Steve Lemke to uh, the president of the Steve Gaines, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig have signed this. There are um, 14 articles, and I want to just read these articles to you, and just to let you know what it's about. You know, I'm not going to have time to really discuss the, this document or the statement, but I want to uh, leave you with this statement, letting you know what it's about to clear clear the air. Um, so, so that you know what it is. Now, this is a complementarian document uh, expressing, and a complementarian when it talks about uh, the roles in marriage show that there are distinctions between men and women in marriage. Uh, there are distinctions between men and women in general. But l- let me just read these articles. Okay. So the first article says, We affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal sexual pro... Uh, pro-, uh, pro- <laughs> I can't talk... Procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride at the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, poly, uh, polyamorous, or polygamous relationship. We also deny that marriage is here a um, human contract rather than a covenant made before God. In other words, this is saying that uh, that that marriage is meant to be heterosexual between one man and one woman, and uh, that's the intention. It's not a human construct. It's a divine construct. Article 2 says, We affirm that God's revealed will for all people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affection, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside of marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. A lot of people have come down hard on evangelicals for not saying enough about sexual relations outside of marriage. This article says that sexual relations should only happen within 
the confines of holy matrimony between one man and one woman. Article 3, we affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We deny that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. Here again, it's representing uh, this Article 3 is saying that we that uh, the people who signed this document say that there is a distinction between men and women, but that doesn't mean that anyone is better than the other in dignity or worth. Okay, so that's what the third article is about. Fourth article, we affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or are a tragedy to be overcome. So again, God created men, men and women for distinctive roles to do certain things to help one another out and, and instead of com, you know, competing against one another uh, or something to be overcome. Uh, as the fourth article states. Fifth article states, We affirm that the differences between male and female reproductive structures are integral to God's design for self-conception as male and female. We deny that physical anomalies or psychological conditions nullify the God-appointed link between biological sex and self-conception as male or female. Uh, so, in other words, that, that people are made by God's design. That's what the fifth article is to say, state. Um, Sixth article says, We affirm that those born with a physical disorder of, of sex development are created in the image of God and have dignity and worth equal to all other image bearers. They are acknowledged by our Lord Jesus in his words about eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. With all others, they are welcome as faithful followers of Jesus Christ and should embrace their biological sex insofar as it may be known. We deny that ambiguities related to a person's biological sex render one incapable of living a fruitful life of joyful obedience to Christ. So this is talking about the small percentage of individuals who were born as hermaphrodites, uh, that is, uh, having both male and female uh, organs. Okay, seventh article. We affirm that self-conception as male and female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption as revealed in Scripture. We deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. So, um, so our conception is what this is saying, should be defined by God's design and creation and redemption as found in Scripture. Uh, the um, eighth article, we affirm that people who experience sexual attraction for the same sex may live a rich and fruitful life pleasing to God through faith in Jesus Christ as they, like all Christians, walk in purity of life. We deny that sexual attraction for the same sex is part of the natural goodness of God's original creation or that it puts a person outside the hope of the gospel, saying that all people can be saved, even those who um, experience attractions to those of the same sex. And the ninth article says, We affirm that sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and towards sexual immorality, and that's only that only stands to reason, a distortion that includes both heterosexual and homosexual immorality. We deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexual immoral behavior. So in other words, just because you have a sinful desire to do something doesn't justify a sinful act, is what it's saying. 
Tenth article, we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality and transgenderism or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which uh, otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. In other words, this is saying that, uh, that to call this as acceptable is going against the teachings of Scripture and is wrong. Eleventh uh, article. I wish we had time to really further expound on this, but we are, like I said, we are running uh, just on, uh, on on fumes here as far as time goes. Uh, so let's just run through the rest of these articles. We affirm eleventh article. We affirm our duty to speak the love, the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male or female. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of His image bearers as male and female. Article twelve. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires, and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We deny that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. Uh, so in other words, the grace of God is sufficient to draw one out of sexual sin. Uh, our sexual temptation as well. Article 13, we affirm that the grace of God in Christ enables sinners to forsake transgender self-conceptions and by divine forbearance to accept the God-ordained link between one's biological sex and one's self-conception as male or female. We deny that the grace of God in Christ sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds with God's revealed will. Okay. In Article 13, we affirm that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Christ alone as Savior, Lord, and Supreme Treasure. I like how they worded that. I really like how they worded that. We deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond his reach, saying that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to read this document in its entirety, go to uh, CBMW. Once again, that's CBMW.org forward slash Nashville hyphen statement forward slash once again that's cbmw.org forward slash nashville hyphen or dash statement forward slash all right ladies and gentlemen i wish we had time to talk about this more but we are out of time we thank you for being with us today you have been listening to the bellator christie podcast god bless you and we'll see you back next time as we step into the arena of ideas expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. 
be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.